Now today I have, how would I call this? This is something that's on my heart today and, and versus having a text. I have texts. <laughs> many, many texts. But uh, I want to I title this message. I'm going to pray and then I want you to... We'll, a lot of, this will be on the screen. Thank God for our guys today. But I want you to listen as uh, the Lord has given me the authority over to protect and to guide the congregation. And I want you to listen today. Listen to what Pastor has to say today. But I want to talk about, I've titled this, The Doctrine of His Deity. The He, of course, being our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Doctrine of His Deity. Father, today, speak to each of our hearts today. Strengthen us in the doctrine that we're going to talk about today. Guard us from, all, from that which is false, that which is spurious. Lead us in truth, because thy word is a lamp to our feet, and it is a light unto our path. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much today. I have a number of things that I want to say today. I don't know how fast I will go with this, but I want you to have your heart open today, because I think this is an important, what we're going to talk about today. As we look at our New Testament, especially the, the first church, it's like a blueprint. We look at the church in its purity as it came fresh from Pentecost in Acts 2. What we find is one of the great emphasis of the apostles was this emphasis that they pressed upon the church, the emphasis of the necessity of sound doctrine. Just say that with me, sound doctrine. It's important that the church is sound in doctrine. Just like, just like healthy food produces physical health, junk food will produce an anemic, sick life. We need sound doctrine. Here's what Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 says. This was the emphasis. This is what, in other words, this is what they did. And they, the church, continued steadfastly in what? In the apostles' doctrine. Doctrine just means teaching. In the apostles' doctrine. Then it mentions, of course, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. These four things. In the NIV 84 version, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. The NLT says this, all the believers, notice that, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. As I look out over the American church, I don't think there's ever been a more vital time to be careful how you choose a church than it is today. Hear that? I, I think choosing a church is probably more vital today than it's ever been. Meaning, meaning where are you going to take your family to worship the Lord? Meaning, how do I choose a church? And that may be a whole different message for another time. What's being taught from the pulpit? What's really believed? And, and what's the emphasis? Not just preaching, but what's, what's the emphasis of the preaching? I read an article this week. If true, what I'm going to say, which I believe that it is, it's very, it's alarming. And the article was titled this, more, more than half U.S. adults, 
more than half, and 30% of evangelicals believe Jesus isn't God. That was the title of the article. Just this week. Remember, remember I mentioned last week, uh, if we don't have the doctrine of Jesus, the doctrine of Christ, if we don't have Christology right, everything else is going to be out of sorts. Let me read you just a few little excerpts. I won't take long here. I don't want to bore you with this, but I want you to, I want you to hear this. Here's, here's an excerpt. More than half American adults, including 30% of evangelicals, that means people that claim Christ and go to church, 30% say Jesus isn't God, but most agree that he was a great teacher according to the results from a 2020, 2020 State of Theology survey. There's a survey due, a big survey they do every year. And, I'm, and I quote on, even though the Bible, even though the Bible, the traditional teaching of the Christian church hold that Jesus truly existed as both man and God among the key findings of the biennial state of theology survey from Ligonier Ministries conducted by Lifeway Research said this is that 50%, 52% of American adults believe that Jesus was a great teacher, but nothing more. Some 65% of evangelicals in the study were also found to agree with this statement, which I would be in agreement with this, that Jesus is, I would not be in this, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. That's wrong. And, and the article went on to say, which is which the theology experts say there is a dire need for the teaching of Christology, that what I'm going to teach this morning in the church, meaning the doctrine of the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. The end of the article said this, finding in an, of an earlier Barna study, Barna big research group, this year also showed that 51% of Americans consider God to be all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect, and a just creator of the universe who still rules the world today. And we say, amen, that sounds great. The only problem is from 1991 to now, there's a 22% drop in that belief of Americans who believe that that is even true. That means this, in the American church, we're going the wrong way in doctrine, and there's a dire need that we stutter doctrine. In fact, what I've seen over the last you know, 20, 30 years here is that there's been a downplaying there's been a downplaying of doctrine in the modern church. We've adopted, we, we've adopted so many pragmatic ideas. I understand for the need of practicalities in some way, but what I want to remind us today is this. The church is the spiritual body of, the, of, the, of, the, of Jesus Christ. This is his body. We are his people. And if it's his body, then we must be very careful to allow him to lead and to govern his church the way he sees fit because he is the head of the church. Hear that. He is the head of the church. I've even attended conferences where the word of God was not even emphasized, really. It was all about how to make the church marketable to the community, kind of a what, what does everybody want in the church kind of philosophy. My wife has said something for year after year after year. Here's what she said. She says, she says, some people think 
that they are smarter than God. And I would say that is true. So my question, this is introduction. This is kind of be a long introduction, and I'm going to give you three things about why we should believe in the doctrine of his deity. But still introduction. Why is doctrine so important? There's three reasons that doctrine is vitally important. One is our doctrine fuels our lifestyle. Our, our doctrine fuels our lives. It's the impetus for all that we do. Now, no one lives above their teaching. No one lives above their doctrine, whether they realize it or not. In other words, th- I would say this. You may say something, but just because you verbally say something doesn't mean you really believe it. What we really believe, what we internalize and really believe is how we live our lives. That's why we need correct teaching. You may verbally say something, but how you live, the fruit, is what really matters. In other words, I would say it this way. If you've ever seen someone live a godly, holy, consecrated life, that person's doctrine of God is correct. That person's doctrine of the fear of the Lord is correct. And that's what fuels their life. The Bible says, pursue peace with all people and holiness. Without such, no one will see the Lord. If someone really believes that, it will, that fear of the Lord, that doctrine of God fuels their godly lifestyle. Let's say somebody shows up in the prayer meeting week after week after week in their dedicated prayer life. That means this. It's more than just saying, hey, I believe in prayer, which everyone in the whole world is going, yeah, I believe in prayer. But truly what we believe is what we live out. It, doctrine and teaching fuels our life. And what we really believe is what we do. Come on, what we, faith without works is dead. And so that person has a right doctrine of prayer. Doctrine fuels our lives. Doctrine fuels our lifestyle. Right doctrine will lead to right living. Wrong doctrine will lead to ungodly living and and compromising living. Doctrine, it, it guards our lives. Second reason doctrine is important is because doctrine gives Christ supervision over his church. As I've said, Jesus is the head of the church. And when someone, anyone leads contrary to the doctrine of the word of God, they are usurping the authority that belongs to Christ alone. Colossians says this, and I I, I read out of Colossians this morning, but chapter one, verse 18, he, Jesus, is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in all things he may have the preeminence. When a church goes away from the word of God and replaces it with man-made ideas or human philosophies, they are usurping the authority that belongs only to Christ. Third reason doctrine is important is this. It provides the church protection from error. Doctrinal error is not only not only not helpful, it is deadly and it is harmful. False doctrine is harmful. Jesus warned us that in the last days, deception would proliferate right before his coming. Beware of false prophets. Beware of false teachers who come in his name. Good doctrine gives protection to the church. It guards us from errors about who God is what his plan is for our lives, what his plan is for the church, how ministers are supposed to be chosen, and also how we relate to our world around us. Here's what Ephesians says, Ephesians 4. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, 
to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, that we no longer, that we no longer be children. Notice, here's what, here's what someone who doesn't know the Bible, who doesn't know the doctrine, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of, tr- trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things to, into him who is the head, Christ. Notice every wind of doctrine. Notice this, the wind doesn't blow the same every day. Some days it blows strong, some days it blows weak. That's how false doctrine is. It's changing, it's inconsistent, it's arbitrary. It may have a thread from generation to generation, it has another face on it, but the word of God, it blows all the time. It's unchanging, it's eternal, it'll never change. Our God's word never changes. It's eternal in the heavens. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. We have an unchanging God. We have a faithful God. He's true to his nature. He's true to his word. It never changes. Jesus himself is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Doctrine is so vitally important. Now, let me give you an illustration. Now, this is seems maybe a little disjointed from the thought today, but you'll see the doctrine of his deity. It's, it's so vital that we get that right. These winds of doctrines, if we don't know the word of God, I just want to, now this is by example. Now, if I get on your pet heresy, then you'll just have to repent of it and what you'll have to get right. But I've noticed over the last many years, this recycle of, of false teaching, this recycling of heresies, And I think because there's such a low level of biblical illiteracy in most churches that people are bought into, and they're innocent many times because they don't know what the truth is. They're not not inundated with it. They're not not filled with the truth. Colossians 3.16 says that we are to be full of the word of God. You say full of the Holy Spirit, absolutely, but also full of the word of God. We need to be full of the word of God. Protects us. So what are some errors that we've seen? One of the errors that I've seen comes out of the charismatic movement called the confession doctrine. And if you've been in Pentecost as long as I have, you've seen this come about and it it, it comes and goes. The confession doctrine, which is really really the new age law of attraction in Christianese. It's really new age. That's where it comes from. You say, what do you mean? Here's what the law of attraction is. The law of attraction is that you create your own reality with positive thoughts and positive words. In other words, when you have positive thoughts and positive words, you attract positive to you. In the the opposite, if you have negative words or negative thoughts, you're going to attract negative things to you. That is new age law of attraction. And I've heard people in church, don't say that, don't say it, don't be negative, don't be this and that. Well, I'm all for being positive, but I'm not for having new age come in the church. The confession doctrine basically is this. It's the belief that positive words and positive thoughts will create that reality for you. Healing, material blessing, relationships. Just confess it. Just confess it. And it's eventually going to be manifested to you. That is not in the Bible. That has its origin in New Age teaching. Millions of charismatics believe in that. And it's basically the law of attraction with the Christianese wrapping. 
Another doctrine that I've seen, now this is not a big one, but this is something that I've seen, and I, I, I saw people starting to get a hold of it, soaking prayer. You heard that? Soaking prayer. Maybe you haven't heard about this. Soaking prayer. Well, I can tell you this. I've read this Bible over and over again, and we're nowhere in this scripture told to soak in prayer. Prayer is not soaking. Prayer is saying. Prayer is words. Now think about this. Here's, I'm all for waiting in the presence of the Lord. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 40, 31, Ephesians 5, 18. But why the mystical language? Why do we borrow language from the world? Why, why don't we stay with the Bible? Why don't we use the language of the Bible? Why don't we just call it prayer? Why do we call it soaking prayer? Well, here's what I've noticed over the last 30 years of preaching ministry. There are individuals that, that are looking for mystical things. They just, they want mystical things. They long for mystical things. They, they hunger after mystical things. Unless they get that mystical thing, they don't think God is moving. Well, I can tell you this. Every time I open this book, I have a move of God. Because these are the very words of God. Here's what, here's what the Bible says. Not soaking, not soaking prayer, but prayer is speaking. What did Jesus say? Disciples come to him, Luke, 8, Luke 11. And he said, teach us how to pray, verse 2. Jesus said, here's what Jesus said. When you pray, say. Don't soak. I, didn't find, I don't find soaking, right? Say this, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth that is it in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Not soaking, saying we have a living God. We can speak to him. Not soaking, saying. Hosea said this, when Israel needed to repent, he didn't tell them to soak. He said this, Hosea 14, 1, 2. O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Go soak. What does it say? Talk to me. Bring words. Bring words. See how weird we can get? Look at Ecclesiastes. Do not be rash with your mouth and let your heart utter any, or nor let your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your soaking words. words. Come on, let your words. Jesus went to Gethsemane. And here's what it says in the Matthew 26 text. He doesn't go and soak. The Bible says he went a little further. He fell on his face and he prayed. He prayed saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. Verse, 20, verse 42, the same chapter. Again, the second time he went and he pray, uh, away and he prayed, saying, oh, Father, oh, my Father. And the same thing. If this cup cannot pass away from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. No talk of soaking. We don't soak. We, we speak to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Here's another false teaching, and that is these folks... Uh, and I don't know how proliferated this was, but this passed through. This stuff doesn't pass through our church because I won't allow it. But people would go out and lay on the graves of Christians, great Christians who had died, like, you know, John Wesley or Charles Spurgeon or, you know, Charles Spinney. And they would go and lay on the graves of these folks. And here's what they said. We're going to absorb the anointing. Oh, we're ridiculous. 
That is just strange. That is just weird. That is just unbiblical. Let me just tell you, the anointing is not absorbed by laying on some ridiculous grave of the person that's not even there anyway, by the way. They're somewhere. But the anointing is the work of the precious Holy Spirit. And listen, no man can give you the Holy Spirit. Only Jesus can give the Holy Spirit. Here's what John said. Indeed, I baptize you with water into repentance, but one coming is who's mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy than loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the baptizer. No one gives you it. You don't absorb it. You have to be in Christ. He does that. Now, so let's go a little deeper. So, I'm going to get to the doctrine of his deity because really all of this connects with who Jesus is. I have found in my life that everything pretty much connects with almost everything connects with a lack of understanding of what we have in Jesus Christ. Let me go ahead and say it. We have everything we need in Jesus Christ. I don't need to lay on a grave. I don't need to soak anywhere. I don't need to say a bunch of little empty confessions. Faith in Jesus Christ connects me with redemption. It connects me with sanctification. Everything I need is in him. You are complete in him. That's why all these heresies, the doctrine of his deity, of who Jesus Christ is. Now, what I've seen is so many new age ideas that creep into the church. And people don't even realize that they're under the guise of the Spirit's mysterious work. Let me give you a for instance. I have a book here called The Physics of Heaven. And The Physics of Heaven comes out of a charismatic church out west. And all these leaders, are, their names are here. They've endorsed this book. Well, somebody told me about this book. And I thought, well, no, that's not correct because I don't believe in slandering anyone. And if I say something, I don't want my words to be parsed out. And so I just bought the book. I mean, these are their words. These are not my words. These are their words. Now, this comes out of the, a charismatic church, a very influential charismatic church. And the whole book is based on that you're going to experience God. Now, get this. This is, this is ridiculous. That you're going to experience God through light, sound, vibrations, and quantum physics. So I thought, I'll just buy the book. I'm just going to buy the book. So here we go. I bought the book. Now, let me tell you, I didn't get past the Ford until I had my pen out. And I am marking. Look at this. Can you see all this? I'm marking, and I'm marking scripture. I, mar I marked all the way till the end of this thing. So I, I did pretty good here. I could do a book report on this. <laughs> you know, I did a book report one time. I did a college class one time and passed without even going to the class. I got an A. He said, how'd you do that? Some years ago, someone came to me and said, Pastor, I know you grew up in Catholicism and I have this religious class and I'm really, I'm, I'm there studying other things, but this is a class. So I just got into it. I started doing some research and man, I was quoting this and naming that source and naming that source and kind of just, and so I gave it to them and I actually think they just turned it into professor. I am like certain they did. So we got an A. It was a good class. So here's the, let me read. I'm going to get into the, the points of the sermon in a moment about why I believe Jesus is our all in all. 
But I read this, and the associate pastor of the church out there, it's his name, I won't name his name, don't want to embarrass him, but let me tell you something. No one is above the Word of God. Everyone is under the Word of God. And if you're going to write a book, then we get to critique it. Here's what it says. I'll just read a little bit. Here's what he says about this book. These two ladies are going to write about this, how we're going to experience God through vibrations and all this stuff. It says this. In this powerful book, and he mentions the ladies, it says, as assembled a team of seers who peer behind the curtain of creation to reveal the mysterious nature of the creator. This book reads like a journal that, em- that emerged from the Holy Spirit, a Holy Spirit think tank where great spiritual leaders gathered to discuss the, their insights into the complexities of God. How I many know some people say something without saying anything? <laughs> Through their collective intelligence, these seers have emerged, notice, with new perspectives never before pondered. That ought to tell you something right there. These are new perspectives, never been pondered before. I mean, I mean you, may have a, you may have a scholar that's written a 50-volume commentary on the Bible, but these things have never been pondered before. Then he goes on and said, this is a foretaste of things to come, unearthing what the great apostle Paul penned nearly 2,000 years ago. And he quotes the Romans passage. It says that creation reveals God. Now, the scholars call it general revelation. You know, trees, plants, sun, moon, stars, the general revelation that there's a creator. But we don't need general revelation to teach us redemption. General revelation teaches us that there is a creator, but special revelation, the word of God, teaches me that his name is Jesus. They're talking about going back. And then it says this. He quotes a verse that I quoted. Remember about the manifold wisdom of God? He says this. The Apostle Paul went on to say that the saints are to bring to light the mystery. He redefines mystery. The mystery is the church, right? The mystery is the church. He says here, the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church of the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So how does this gentleman, this associate pastor, how does he interpret mystery? He interprets it as mystical sounds, vibrations, wind blowing, all kind of foolishness. And I wrote here, I said, I, wrote, I just wrote, not, not secret mystical teaching. I wrote, but the church. The mystery hidden is the church. Jews and Gentiles united in Christ Jesus. And I wrote here, not to bore you, but I just wrote, creation is a limited revelation of God's power. Why go back to that after we have Jesus, the full revelation of the Father's word to us? And then it goes over here, and it talks about where these folks are going to lead us. This is all introduction. I mean, I'm about to pull my hair out theologically, and I ain't even got through the, through the not, not even the introduction. This is the forward to the book. It's incredible that someone would even put their name on this. It calls themselves a Christian minister. He goes through and he says, these, the Holy, he says, he says, they're going to lead us and the Holy Spirit's going to be the instructor, the mentor, the guide. And I thought, well, okay, where are we going to lead? And it goes down here and says, we're going to go into uncharted waters. We're going to go into to new lands. And then it always goes, look at this. If you are tired of being a settler, 
existing on the shores of tradition and riskless living. This book is for you. You know what that says to me? Here's the, here's the underlying message. Traditional theology is boring. Traditional theology. Oh, we need to get past all that old dusty theology. Let me tell you, the reason the church is in the state it is today is because we have gone away from theology. And particularly the doctrine of who Jesus is and what we have in him. And so, so they're saying that we're going to get past this old boring living and we're going to get into you know, this riskless living. And then it says this. Here it is. He says, but beware, because once you get a taste of these authors' insights, insights into what? Into what, Pastor? Insights into like to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, into Psalms and no, no, no. Here's what it says. I'm reading this is the book. It says, into light, sound, vibrations, and quantum physics. So I got through the book and I wrote in the back here, here's the summary I have of the whole book. Don't read it, by the way. (laughs) I've read it. I've marked it up. Do not read it. Okay. It's hogwash. Summary of the book. Here's my summary. The summary is, here's the thesis of the book, that there are hidden truths in new age. In fact, they say that, that they say in the book that, that New age has taken things that we need to get back and bring back into the church. That's, they're leading you into new age. They say it in the book. It says, so here's my summary. They are saying that there is hidden truths in the new age, new age practices that have been stolen from Christianity, light, sound, vibrations, and quantum mysticism. It is absolutely ridiculous. Here's what, those, here's what Colossians says. I read it this morning. And you are complete in Jesus, who is the head over all principality and power. Everything I need or will ever need is in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his great lordship and his exaltation. Here's our doctrinal statement in the Assemblies of God. Here's our statement. It's this. We believe in, this is our statement concerning the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's, here's our statement. The Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. Here's what it says under that. The scriptures declare his virgin birth, his sinless life, his miracles, his substitutionary work on the cross, his bodily resurrection from the dead, and his exaltation to the right hand of God. If the church ever discovers Truly what our Bible say about our Lord Jesus Christ. You won't need a vibration. You, don't, you won't need a smell, a sound. You won't need any of that. Because when you have Jesus, you have it all. You have a completed salvation. We are complete in him. Now, here's the question, and I'll hit it quickly. Why do we believe in the deity of Jesus? Three reasons. My points. Number one, clear biblical declarations. Clear biblical declarations. Clear statements from the Bible that Jesus, regardless of all the people in America that go to church and say that he was just a good man, no, clear statements from the Bible that Jesus Christ is divine. Now let me just give you these. You can write these down. Matthew 123, 
Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Say that with me. God with us. Jesus, when he was on this planet, God with us. Luke one thirty five, And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, the one who is to be born, who is to be born, will be called the Son of God. Philippians 2, 6. Who being in very nature God. Who being, this is NIV. You know, I don't know what you got, but the NIV, not my favorite translation, but man, it gets it right here. This is good who being in very nature God, talking about Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, Jesus was truly a man, never ceasing to be God. He laid aside those prerogatives. He didn't use the, he truly lived as a man, but never ceased to be God. How can God cease to be God? He did not cease to be God. He took upon the nature of man. What a, what a story. What an amazing story of our redemption that God would come in human flesh. Notice what Paul said to Timothy, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.17. Look at this. And I love these little praises at the end of his prayers. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Jesus is God, who alone is wise. See, what is it if uh, 1 Corinthians 1 says that, that Jesus is his wisdom? You want to know what wisdom is? Wisdom is Jesus. Wisdom is the plan of redemption. John 1 and 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word, that's Jesus, was God. He was in the beginning with God. That's eternity. All things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made Verse 14 of this chapter, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Listen to John 1 18. It says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father has declared him. Listen to the NIV in this. No one has ever seen God, but the, but the one and only son who, himself, who is himself God is the, in the closest relationship with the father has made him known in these verses. I'll read it again. I love reading this. In him, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head over all principality and power. In Jesus, fully God, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, perfectly holy. Jesus is Yahweh of the Old Testament. He is God. I love Titus, looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and, and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus is our great God and Savior. Look at Peter 1 and 1, 2 Peter 1 and 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why do we believe in his deity? Why do we believe that Jesus is just more than a great teacher, a great prophet, a great man? Why do we believe that he is God in human flesh? Here's the reason why. Because of clear, clear declarations from the word of God. This is a book that proclaims that Jesus is the very son of God. Do we know who we're serving today? 
the very Son of God. Here's another reason we believe in the doctrine of his deity. Number two, and that is not only clear declarations from the word of God and scripture, but Jesus' own personal proclamations. What did Jesus say? Now, you have to go study these. I can't read all these chapters and give all, just write these down, check me here. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 10 and verse 30, I and the Father are what? Are one. That means this. They're one in nature. They're one in purpose. They're one in essence. Doesn't mean one person, but it means they're one in essence, one in nature, one in character, one in purpose. Jesus said in John 14, verse 9, he said to his apostles, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father also. So Jesus is clearly claiming to be God, is he not? You'll remember these words. Jesus said in John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. Everyone say, I am. When Jesus said that, I am. Jesus is not just claiming that he lived before Abraham. He is claiming that he is eternally existent. He's claiming to be Yahweh of the Old Testament. Now, this verse, John 8, 58, it references back to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. Do we remember where that, what that said? The Lord spoke to Moses and said these words. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus shall you say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am who I am means this. I want to be known as the God who is eternally present and faithfully active in the lives of my people. Clearly, Jesus is claiming to be God. Jesus stood before Pilate and said these words. He said in John 8, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you then a king? Jesus answered, you say rightly, I am a king. My friend, listen to me. Not only is he king, he's the king of the kings. Come on. He's the Lord of the lords. He's our mighty savior. He is God. For this cause I was born. For this cause I've come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now, do you realize that Paul referenced this moment in Jesus' life when he was encouraging Peter to remain faithful. He said this. He talked about the good confession. 1 Peter, 3, 1 Peter 6, 13, 14. He said, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things. Notice, and before, and be, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. What is the good confession? The good confession is that he is the king, that he is the Lord, that he is God, that Jesus is who he says he is. Lastly, he says, Jesus said these words in the last book of the Bible, Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha 
and I am the Omega. That means this. Jesus is the supreme, sovereign alphabet of God. Nothing is outside of his knowledge. Nothing is outside of his rulership. He is guiding human history to his desired goal. And that goal is one day he will reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord of all. The doctrine of his deity. And lastly, we believe in the doctrine of his deity because clear, clear declarations of scripture. Number two, Jesus' own personal proclamations. But, but lastly, thirdly, I would call these divine, supernatural manifestations. In other words, Jesus did what only God could do. We serve an awesome God. We serve an amazing Jesus. When he was on the Mount of Transfiguration in John and Matthew 17, his heavenly glory was revealed. Do you know, in eternity past, he lived in, this, he lived in the light of God's glory, face to face in the Father's presence. And it says... Now, after six days, he took Peter, James, and John. He led them to a high mountain, and he was transfigured before them. Jesus is being revealed as the God-man there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus did what only God could do. This Bible says that Jesus walked on water. Try that. See how that works for you. Mm, yeah. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Lord over all creation. His healing revealed his deity. He said in John, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father's in me. Or believe me for the work's sake. That's the miracles. Believe me for the miracle's sake. They let a, they let a man down from the roof at Peter's house, from his mother-in-law's house. And Jesus says, son, thy sins be forgiven. And the Pharisees were saying, inside they were, who can forgive sins but God alone? And then he knew their thoughts. Another sign of deity, by the way. And he said to them, which is easier to say, thy sins be forgiven or that take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the son of man, another messianic term, a title, he said, that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I say unto you, take up your mat and walk home. Now, I paraphrase that part, but that's what he said. He got up and walked away, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? I would say to say your sins are forgiven because that's going to have to have nails in his hands. That's gonna, he's going to become our sin bearer. He calmed storms with just his words. He, he arose and he rebuked the wind and the sea and said, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And they were in the boat saying, who is this man? I'll tell you who he is today. The very son of God. He multiplied physical objects. Thousands of people are there. And he tells his disciples, have them all sit down. And he sat down in, in little companies of 50. And he took the loaves and he had given thanks. He distributed it to the disciples. The disciples are those who were sitting down. 
and likewise the fish as much as they wanted. 10 or 15,000 people are fed with five loaves and two fishes. Who can do that? Only God can do that. He raised the dead many times. But this one touches me and I'm, I'm done. It says it happened the day after that he went into the city called Nain. And many of the disciples went with him, a large crowd. Notice this. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out. The only son of his mother and she was a widow. So in other words, you've got a crowd of life and you have a crowd of death. You have this huge crowd. It says many disciples, I mean, there's probably thousands of people, and here they are, and here's this big company coming this way, and then here's a company going to death, going to bury someone this way, and they meet together. And Jesus knew that this, this widow lady, this was her only son. And Jesus did what only God can do. It says, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. He said to her, do not weep. Then he came and he touched the coffin. And those who carried him stood still. He said, just think about this. Wow. Young man, I say to you, arise. He who was dead set up. And began to speak. Don't you know, don't you wonder what he said? God didn't give us that part. And he presented him to his mother. What an amazing Jesus we serve. Why do we believe that Jesus is the very Son of God? Clear biblical declarations. Jesus owns personal proclamations. And divine and supernatural manifestations of miracles that only God can do. Here is my confession. I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. He is all that I need for salvation, for comfort, for healing, for peace. Everything I need is as close as as the mention of his name. Why, why does the modern church incessantly go to new age philosophy, to things that are mystical and new age? Why, why would we do that when we have Jesus in our hearts and lives? I want you to stand with me. I don't know what you need today, but I know that Jesus can save us Come on, he can heal us. He's all that we need today. If you look at all of the errors people get into, mostly, most of the time, I would say 99% of the time, it's because they don't understand what the gospel says about Jesus. God sent his only son into the world to redeem us. The Bible talks about the gospel and it says the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. Romans uh, verse 17 of that verse says, for in it, in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed 
faith from first to last. Faith to faith to faith. Why is it that we, the church world always wants to come, you know, come up with a new scheme? Come up with a new thing. You know the old song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Father, my prayer today is that we would get our eyes on Jesus. That we would never take our eyes off Jesus. Jesus, the God-man, the very Son of God, our Savior, our healer, our peacemaker, our joy giver, the one who guides us in paths of righteousness, the one who can break all bondage and set us free to live this wonderful, abundant life in your abiding presence. Father, my prayer is that we would be, we would be strong in the doctrine of your deity, that we would be strong in our Christology, that we would know who Jesus is, that we would know what he says, what his words are, what his teachings are, that we would know his purpose and his person. Lord God, protect us today from every wind of doctrine. As our heads are bowed, very quickly, my time is gone. As our heads are bowed, if you need prayer today, maybe you need Jesus today. You've never received the Lord, or if you have received the Lord, maybe there's some great spiritual need in your life. And I want you to know that this church cannot meet your need. Some so-called famous prophet, he will never meet your need. Only Jesus can meet your need. But if you want special prayer, I'm going to close in a prayer. Let me see your hand. Who needs prayer today? God bless you here. God bless you here. And God bless you here. God bless you here and here. Anyone else? Now, I'm going to pray a prayer, but I would, I would love to counsel with you. I would love to speak with you and help you any way that I could and counsel you in Scripture. So, Father, today, you see these hands today. You see these hands. You know the need that's there. It may be sin that needs to be repented and cleansed. And only you can do that. No good work will do that. Only faith in you will do that. Father, I pray. Those that feel weak spiritually, they love you with all their heart, but they feel weak. I pray that the word of God this week as they meditate on scripture, it would strengthen them in your marvelous and wonderful grace. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for meeting with us. We bless you. Now I want you to lift your hands as we conclude. Just, and I want you to worship Jesus. Just worship Jesus. Just call upon his name for one more moment. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you for your presence today. We worship you today. We glorify your name. We worship you and we love you. Now I'm going to conclude in a closing prayer and benediction. And as I conclude, I want you to know this today. Jesus is not in a building. Jesus is with you. He's going to go with you by the Holy Spirit 
all week long. Abide in him, look to him, and he's all that you need today. Father, I pray today that, that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.